Well, now we turn our attention to the word of the Lord. And this morning, we will continue our time in the book of James, in the letter of James. Now, everybody will experience challenging or difficult situations at some point in life. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Trials and tribulations are a part of living in a fallen world. In those moments, we naturally have the desire for someone to come alongside us and comfort us and to tell us how to respond. Some believe that one's economic status can change that, while others believe that they are doomed to suffer because of it. While money or status can alleviate some hardships, it cannot ultimately save anyone from trials. If trials are a reality in everyone's life, then how should we respond? As Christians, how should we respond to our trials? Does God have anything to say about that? Whom shall we turn to? What should we do? It's my hope and prayer for us today that we would understand and apply what God says we should do and how we should respond in our trials. This morning we continue in our time in James. And to provide a brief recap, last time, a couple of weeks ago when we started James, we spent some time looking at some important parts of the letter. We saw that in verse 1, uh, we are given the identity of the author, the recipients, and a call to Christian living. The epistle begins by telling us that its author is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And one of the important descriptions that James uses to identify himself is the word servant or slave. This is a word that we want to keep in mind uh, during our time in James because as we go through this letter, it will teach us how to see ourselves and how we are to live in this world as servants of the Lord. And all of this requires humility, which deals with seeing yourself rightly in light of who King Jesus is. He is Lord, and we are his servants. It's not the other way around. So we want to get that right. Then James identifies his audience. He writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That is, those Jewish believers who were scattered abroad, possibly because of the uh, stoning of Stephen, as we just learned in the book of Acts. This intro then sets up the epistle as one written to fellow brothers and sisters who are also servants of the Lord, exhorting them to live as servants of God as they were scattered throughout different lands. Then we spent some time in verses 2 through 4 looking at James' exhortation to count our trials as opportunities for joy because trials serve a purpose. We learned that they produce steadfastness or perseverance, and perseverance leads to maturity. So this morning we continue with the theme of trials in the Christian life, and we will give attention to the Christian's response to trials, specifically how to persevere in trials. And if you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. Christian, persevere in trials by praying for wisdom, which enables you to rely on God and endure until the end. I'll repeat that. Christian, 
Persevere in trials by praying for wisdom, which enables you to rely on God and endure to the end. And so we'll see these three points um, throughout our time this morning. One, we pray for wisdom. Two, wisdom will enable you to rely on God. And three, wisdom will enable you to endure till the end. With that being said, let's read our passage for today. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, James wrote this letter to believers who were living in a culture that did not favor Christians. As we've seen, these believers were scattered abroad and were experiencing all sorts of trials that would test their faith. So James writes encouraging these believers to consider their trials as an opportunity for joy because of the sanctifying work that God would accomplish through it. Can you imagine living in this time, having to leave your home because of persecution? I can imagine some of those believers hearing this letter, being read aloud, and thinking to themselves, Okay, God uses our trials to mature us. Great. But how? What should I do? Well, I don't think we're much different from them. Because we've all experienced a time when we thought we knew what was going on. We thought we had it under control, but we found out very quickly that we really didn't. Have you found yourself in a difficult circumstance where you've been able to mentally check off all sorts of theological truths in your mind, but then found it challenging to believe even the most basic truths about God? Perhaps you remember learning that God is sovereign over every single detail in the world, But all of a sudden you ask yourself, is he really sovereign over your loved one's life who had to be admitted into the ICU due to COVID and you just found out that he had to be placed on a ventilator? Or maybe you recall studying that all of the gold and silver belong to God, but you hear a voice in your ear whisper, is he really able to provide for all of your needs now that you don't have a job? Maybe you're currently saying to yourself, yes, God uses all of my circumstances for my good, but you follow up with, does he? Really? It can be challenging to count these situations as opportunities for joy when you don't know what the next month, next week, hour, or next minute holds. 
So when you find yourself in these situations, what do you do? How do you persevere in trials? Well, if this is you, listen to what James writes in verse 5. He says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The first thing we're called to do is pray for wisdom. James called his audience to ask God for wisdom so that they would persevere in their trials and as a result, experience joy. If James says that wisdom is what we need to persevere in trials, then it would be important for us to know what wisdom is and how to obtain it. So what is wisdom? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. And there are two kinds of wisdom that we find in Scripture. One, first there's uh, reflective wisdom, and then there's also practical wisdom, both of which are found in James' uh, epistle. Reflective wisdom has to do with having insight and understanding of the world. That is, seeing it as God sees it. And you find examples of this in the book of Job or Ecclesiastes. Practical wisdom, on the other hand, deals with guidance or advice for everyday living, as seen in the book of Proverbs. So practical wisdom enables you to live or respond as God would have you do. Now, James' audience was forced out of Jerusalem due to persecution, so it would make sense that they would be discouraged and confused. In response to this, James asks, If any of you lacks wisdom, to be able to count your trials as an opportunity for joy, then ask God for wisdom. Here, James calls believers to ask for the reflective wisdom. That is, for understanding of a particular situation that enables you to see it from God's perspective so that you can respond accordingly. Now, notice a few things about this. He calls believers to consider their need for wisdom in trials. That is, receiving wisdom to persevere in trials is conditional on one's acknowledgement of their need for it. I'll repeat that again. Receiving wisdom to persevere in trials is conditional on one's acknowledgement of their need for it. You can't ask for something that you don't know you're lacking. Also, do you remember that James said the purpose of trials is to produce perseverance in you so that you may not lack in anything? Well, here you see that trials reveal our lack of wisdom. Once we acknowledge our lack of wisdom, we can then ask God for it in prayer. Notice also the encouragement to pray for wisdom. Christians are called to pray for wisdom from our giving God. Our God delights in giving good gifts to His children. And you see, He's not just a giver. He's a generous giver who will not scold you nor criticize you for asking for help. This is encouraging, and you see that there in verse 5. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. So, brothers and sisters, 
why would you not want to approach our God in prayer asking him for wisdom to enable you to persevere when you're in trouble? He has promised to answer. Though God does not tell us when he will answer, we are guaranteed that he will answer. This means that God will answer in his time and in his way. It could be through you sitting here on Sunday morning listening to the sermon. Or it could be as you get together for Bible study. Or as you're praying the word. Or as you're having conversations with other believers about the scriptures. Our responsibility is to ask God and to wait for him. And to trust that he will respond. Now, if we continue reading verse 6, we find another condition for receiving wisdom, and that is, it requires faith. Verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Another way to say this is, when we pray, we must pray with trust. We must trust in God. Faith is to take God at his word, believing him because of who he has revealed himself to be. He is a holy God who loves truth and keeps his promises. Christian, biblical faith is rooted in substance, and that is the word of God. On the flip side, it can also be helpful to understand what faith is, is by understanding what it's not. Faith is not wishful thinking. It's not thinking about something long and hard until it happens. That is not faith. Faith is also not something that you name and claim. This understanding of faith is proud and arrogant. It's a proud and arrogant posture that makes us to be the Lord and God to be our servant. This is twisted and a demonic understanding of faith because it doesn't work that way. Now, James also says that when we pray, we will encounter challenges. Sometimes the challenge is simply to get to our time of prayer because all of a sudden, when you want to pray... Something important pops up. And when we do make it to our prayer time, the war continues and it comes in the form of doubt. And doubt can be the reason for our uh, request for wisdom to not be answered. In verse 6, James describes the one who doubts as one who is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed around by the wind. This is an illustration of a doubter's heart, which is unstable. It's a person who thinks to himself, I'm going to ask God, but I don't really think he's going to answer my prayer. Or one who thinks, did God really say he would give me wisdom? Or what if he's not as generous as he says he is? This kind of heart posture is one that does not honor God because it does not trust God. As a matter of fact, it's a heart posture that offends God because it has no confidence in Him. 
it makes him out to be a liar and untrustworthy. That kind of heart is double-minded. Sometimes thinking that God will answer prayer, but really convincing himself that mm, God really isn't going to answer prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians are not tempted to doubt. That is not what James is saying. James is referring to someone who has a divided allegiance and has already decided in his heart, before he even thinks about asking God, he's already decided that God isn't trustworthy. On the other hand, there are times when a Christian may have a difficult time believing God because of the pressures of his or her circumstances, yet continues to believe that God is who he says he is. But here the difference is that the believer acknowledges that his faith in God is incomplete and is in need of help. This is why the believer responds to James' call to ask or to pray for wisdom when we acknowledge that we lack wisdom. So having heard how we can persevere in trials, I wonder, where do you turn to to get through your trials or your troubles? Is the first place you turn to for wisdom and guidance the Instagram account that has thousands of followers? Do you turn to the most intelligent person you know or person with the most experience? That's not to say that we can't find good and helpful advice from some of these places or people. The question is, what or who is your source um, that enables you to persevere during trials? For God's people, wisdom begins with fearing the Lord and continues with wholehearted devotion to Him as He has revealed Himself in His Son Jesus. This is the person who is wise and receives wisdom, the one who turns to the Lord and depends on Him. Another question that I would ask you is, what do you pray for when you're in a trial? Is your prayer only made up of, Lord, get me out of this ASAP? Again, not that this is bad, but there's a place for these prayers. Imagine if your prayers were composed of requests like, Father, I don't know what you're doing through my trial. And this trial, it's, it's difficult. It hurts. It, it, it's hard. It's challenging. But I believe you when you say that you're at work, working through this situation for my good. Please help me to know how to respond in a way that will bring you the most glory. Use this situation to make your name known. These are the kinds of prayers that the Lord delights in responding in. And then He enables us to persevere in our trials. So the first thing we're called to do is, uh, to, to persevere in trials, is to pray for wisdom. But why do we do that? Well, James says that wisdom enables you to rely on God. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. One of the ways that Christians encounter trials in, in life is in their economic status. 
In verse 9, James brings up the topic of poverty and wealth to help us understand that a Christian's economic background is a God-given gift to help believers depend on Him or to rely on Him. James first addresses poor Christians, or as he writes, lowly brother. It's more than likely that most of his audience was financially poor. This is easy to imagine due to believers being persecuted and having to leave everything behind. In the book of Acts, we learn that many in the early church were poor. And you can find that in Acts 2 through 6. The poor are referenced in James's letter as well. And they're referred to as orphans and widows. Those who were poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And in the letter, you can find some of the temptations that poor believers experience, including cursing others, harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition, fights and quarrels within the church, and impatience. Now, others in the early church had enough money to care for poor believers. These are referred to as the rich and were part of the upper class. Some of their temptations included pride, Contamination by the world, ignoring the poor's needs, bitter envy and selfish ambition, living independently from God, and hoarding up wealth. James calls both the lowly brother and the rich brother to boast or to glory in their circumstances. And you see that right there in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and then at the beginning of verse 10, and the rich brother in his humiliation. What's interesting about this is that without godly wisdom, the call to glory or to boast will not make sense. First, Poor Christians are called to glory in their exaltation or exalted position. This is not to say that Christians who experience poverty are better off spiritually, because if that were the case, then we wouldn't find any commands to care for the poor in Scripture. What James must be referring to then in this exalted position um, is, that, is the position that these believers have in Christ. You see, the world may despise those who aren't part of a social status. It may ignore and make less of those who are not in and have no influence. But you see, in the eyes of God, everyone who has placed their trust in Christ has been given the privilege of becoming children of God and have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is something believers of low circumstances or poor Christians ought to boast in. Their exalted position in Christ both now and in the life to come. And similarly, James calls rich, the rich or wealthy Christians to glory in their humiliation. Why humiliation? Well, if the world values money, riches, fame, and worldly treasures, then a wealthy Christian would be ridiculed for not prioritizing those values. Instead, he or she values what's most important to King Jesus. Values such as loving God and loving neighbor, 
or having faith in God and living for His glory. So having this mindset is unnatural. It's part of living as servants of King Jesus in His kingdom. Finding one's joy and glory in these circumstances can only come from wisdom that comes from God. This is why we need wisdom. Because apart from it, poor believers will be tempted to grumble and complain because of their humiliation, while rich believers will boast and glory in their exaltation. But James gives a little more attention to wealthy believers and highlights the brevity of life by painting a picture of a flower of the grass that passes away. You see this in verse, in the second part of verse 10. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James describes the rich believer's pursuits like a beautiful flower of the grass that is affected by the sun's scorching heat, leading the grass to wither, flower to fall, and beauty to perish. In other words, wealth may bring beautiful appearances, comforts, and many possessions, but it will all come to an end and wither away. Therefore, one should not take pride in possessions. Rather, one must take pride in Christ and Christ alone. If you're visiting us today, and you know that you're not a Christian, we're thankful for you, and we're glad that you can join us. Let me ask you, are you aware of the brevity of life? In other words, do you know that sooner or later, we will all pass away? Whether we reach 100 years of age, or whether our body fails um, and we die before then. We are all affected by this fallen world and everything will fade away in due time. And when that happens, then what? Will your pursuits in this life have been worth it? God wants you to know that He created you to live under Him, under His good rule. But sadly, the Bible tells us that none of us has done this. Though we all inherently know that God exists, we have not glorified Him, nor have we given Him thanks. Instead, we have declared ourselves to be wise and have become fools by living for ourselves. This is punishable by death, something that all people experience today. This is why death ex exists in the world, not because God created it, but because it's a result of sin. But there is good news. In God's wisdom, God has made a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to Him. God sent His Son into this world to seek and to save all who repent of their rebellion and turn to Him. If you turn from living for yourself and place your trust in Jesus, God will generously forgive you without reproach.
This is the greatest treasure and pursuit that you can give your life to. And if you have any questions about this, please feel free to ask any one of us, and we would be happy to continue sharing more of this good news or the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if you found yourself on your deathbed today, what would you regret? Would you regret not getting to experience certain earthly pleasures? Or would you be content trusting that your pursuits in this life were aimed at bringing God glory? If it's the former, I would encourage you to take a look at what you are glorying in and ask the Lord for wisdom to help you persevere in the trials that you experience. Your glory and your boast would be in Christ and Christ alone. So the first thing we're called to do is to persevere in trials. And we do that by praying for wisdom. And we pray for wisdom because it enables us to rely on Him. But we also pray for wisdom because wisdom enables us to endure to the end. We see this in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James wraps up this section by summarizing why we can rejoice in our trials. He reminds us that wisdom enables us to persevere in trials by focusing our minds on the reward to be received from God. This reward is guaranteed for all believers who endure trials. The reward is described as the crown of life. And just as wreaths were given to Olympic winners after competing and winning competitions, so believers will be crowned with eternal life where we will dwell with God forever and ever. And we learn something encouraging about this future event. This reward is given to those who love God. The reason we strive to endure trials by asking for wisdom is because we love the Lord who has called us to undergo the trials in our life. Our response to trials, particularly our trust in God, brings Him glory as we show Him to be more valuable to us than even life itself. The only reason we're able to love God is because He has poured out His love on us first. The reward also reminds us that every trial is a gift for our good. Suffering is not something that we need to try to avoid. Wisdom enables us to see that there is a purpose behind it even if we don't understand it in the moment. Though we live by faith, trusting God to fulfill His promises, there is coming a day where our faith will be made sight and we will hear the words, Good job, my good and faithful servant. So in conclusion, to go back to the question that was asked in the beginning, how should we as servants of God respond to our trials? Well, we should respond to our trials in such a way that makes our response distinct from the world. We turn our eyes up to heaven and we pray for wisdom, trusting in our giving God who generously provides the wisdom we need to get us through any and all circumstances. 
we wait patiently for Him to respond and continue to pray until He provides the answer. We ask for wisdom because it helps us to understand our circumstances as good gifts that enable us to rely on Him. And this wisdom helps us to focus our eyes on the future reward, being found approved and receiving the crown of life where we get to spend eternity with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are a generous God. Lord, all of us have tasted your goodness and your generosity. The very fact that we are alive today uh, shows us that your mercy has been new this morning. You treat us better than we deserve. But we acknowledge that we don't always turn to you for wisdom or for help to persevere in our trials. We oftentimes turn to ourselves or to others or other things rather than turning to you. We confess this, Lord, trusting that you forgive us. And we ask that you would please cultivate in us a heart that depends on you, a heart that trusts you because you are trustworthy, because you fulfill everything that you promise your children. Thank you, Lord, because the greatest gift that you give us in showing your generosity is the gift of your son, the very wisdom of God. Thank you for the way that you use your wisdom to save us, Lord, because none of us would have ever thought of a plan of salvation as great as the one found in the gospel. We praise you, we exalt you, and we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.